electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla and Deirdre Bosa. Today... Tim Cook calls Nancy Pelosi. Why Apple CEO is concerned about a series of antitrust bills being debated today. And then an exclusive with former Walmart exec and Jet.com founder Mark Laurie. What we learned from Prime Day and what we didn't. And later, Bitcoin circuit breakers. The levels to watch this morning and Kathy Wood's crypto conviction. That's next. Meantime, NASDAQ adding to its record close yesterday, hitting another all-time high at the opening bell as tech stocks continue to outperform the broader market. We'll explain the disparity between monopoly markets later this hour, Carl. Uh, D, though, we're going to start with uh, antitrust. Apple's Tim Cook did call Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, over a series of bills being debated today that could significantly curb tech's power. Meantime, why do we play Rathacon? FTC Chair Lena Khan has already found her first antitrust target, set to review Amazon's planned purchase of MGM Studios. And we told you about the EU's probe into Google's ad business earlier in the week. So is this really big tech's monopoly moment? Elon Moy has a lot more on that. Morning, Elon. Well, good morning to you, Carl. Democrats are framing this debate and opening it this morning by calling these bills the culmination of a methodical and detailed investigation into the business model of big tech. They spent 16 months looking into these companies. There were 10 hearings. They combed through 1.3 million documents and summarized their findings in a final report that spanned 450 pages. Now, this is lawmakers essentially rebutting the pleas from the companies themselves, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft to pump the brakes on legislation that the industry claims could end some of the most popular services. But committee chairman Jerry Nadler argued that this is a historic effort and necessary to protect democracy itself. The unchecked concentration of economic power in any industry poses a danger to our democracy. Our country and our political institutions will be stronger as a result of the important reforms to open markets to new competition that are set forth in the legislation we are considering today. Now, each of the six bills under consideration today does have bipartisan support, but that doesn't mean that everybody's singing kumbaya. There are still deep internal divisions within the parties over these bills. And in fact, the ranking Republican on the committee, Jim Jordan, was ready to take it all down. Big tech censors conservatives. These bills don't fix that problem. They make it worse They don't break up big tech. They don't stop censorship. 
Now, guys, the committee actually started with one of the least controversial items, the bill to raise merger fees and provide more money to the FTC. So it is going to be a very long day. Back over to you. Uh, Elon, yeah, uh, not to mention watching Congress, the FTC, the EU, uh, the epic lawsuit, John. But again, we're talking about all this regulatory risk, quote unquote, and new highs today, John, on Microsoft, new highs for Facebook, new highs for Alphabet. Yeah, you mentioned Microsoft now, you know, around a two trillion dollar company. And Carl, I I can't help but remember once again, history 21 years ago this month, a federal judge ordered a breakup of Microsoft. Right. It was supposed to split into an OS company and an apps company. And that was supposed to save the future of technology. And that same month, just a few days later, Internet giant Yahoo announced that they were going to use little known startup Google as the, the, powering their search. And it seemed kind of like, oh, why switch from ink to me? And now 21 years, nobody's worried about Microsoft, really, in this antitrust debate. It's Apple, you know, it's Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg was only 16 when that order came down, by the way. Microsoft won on appeal. But you wonder, <laughs> the is this necessary? People, a lot of people at the time thought a breakup of Microsoft was going to be necessary to save tech. Microsoft wasn't broken up. And all these little companies, right, that looked like fringe at the time have done Mm -hmm. so well that now we've got to shackle them to save tech. Um, I wonder if this legislation is focused on exactly the right things. We didn't see a breakup of Microsoft, but we did see what a lost decade. We saw their competitive intensity really take a hit from all the scrutiny, all the distractions. Raises the question that I know some analysts are talking about now, too. Would these big tech companies actually be better off if they were broken up? Some of their businesses like AWS at Amazon could be worth a lot of money all on its own. Carl, what it comes down to, though, is, you know, regulation versus the popularity of some of these services and devices. We are talking now about their dominance, a day that we just had. We just finished the Prime Day holiday from Amazon, where, again, uh, sales just surpassed the previous record. There's no question that these are dominant companies. They've become more entrenched in our lives over the last year. However, do users have take issue with that? Tech regulation in theory sounds good in practice. And, John, I think this is what you're talking about. Um, is this the right thing to focus on? Uh, yeah. And even Elon, in her in her report, used the phrase, John, popular services, emphasis on the popular. And one thing we were talking about with Kramer this morning is the degree to which, I mean, is there an outcry from rank and file working Americans on this? And if there's not, you're going to be talking a lot more about whether or not this legislation can not just make it to the floor, but get over mm-hmm. the hill of getting through multiple houses. Yeah, it, it's a question, I think, on whether we get the intended consequences. Different people crying out about different things. We'll see what this legislation actually does if it actually goes into force. Moving on, Amazon's Prime Day, as we mentioned, comes to a close. The retail giant touting the shopping holiday. I didn't get the day off, though, as the biggest two-day period ever for Amazon's third-party sellers. More than 250 million items purchased by Prime members worldwide. Adobe Analytics estimates that U.S. retailers overall racked up $11 billion in sales over the past two days, a 6.1% jump over last October's Prime Day event and surpassing last Cyber Monday's $10.9 billion sales record. Joining us now to talk about the future of e-commerce, VCP co-founder, former Walmart e-commerce CEO and serial entrepreneur, Mark Laurie. Mark, good to see you. So I think of this as being at the crux, you know, this, this Prime Day discussion 
of loyalty, logistics, and brand. What's the most important driver in e-commerce these days? Uh, maybe what Amazon's getting right, but the opportunity for others as well. Yeah, I think I think the opportunity. I mean, we're, we're at an inflection point now where I see two potentially major trends uh, emerging in e-commerce uh, that'll sort of take place over the next ten to twenty years. One is social commerce, and the other is conversational commerce. I really think those are going to be the two big areas of opportunity uh, on the conversational commerce side. That's really being able to uh, use voice uh, to to converse, uh, you know, in a way that you would with an expert on a showroom floor of a retailer to get exactly what you want in a, in a very personalized way. Um, not having to like go on a search engine and type, you know, a uh, toaster and get 10,000 responses and have to search and weed through all that stuff. It's going to be a lot more seamless uh, in the future. And then on the social commerce side, I think we're, we're seeing this now uh, come into play with companies like now with where uh, Instagram influencers are being connected to brands in a really seamless way that allows people to engage on social media and buy things directly from uh, Instagram followers' pages. Uh, I think that's going to be a trend that we're going to continue to see more and more of. Now, you say, Mark, that those are important, and I can't help but notice that both conversational and social are largely locked up by a lot of big companies. I mean, whether you're talking about iMessage from Apple, you mentioned Instagram, which is part of Facebook. Facebook Messenger is moving into this area. Google with Google Shopping is is interested as well. And there's pressure, antitrust pressure now on these companies to limit what they're able to do in these spaces. If there's a breakup, if there are limits on how big tech is able to exploit these platforms, does it change, limit, or accelerate how companies are going to be able to move into social and conversational commerce? No, I think it accelerates it. I think you know having uh, big players like that get into this space only confirms that this is the beginning of a big mega trend, and there's lots of opportunities for startups to engage. Um, I, I personally am not you know as concerned as others about social platforms you know becoming uh, competitive in the in the retail space given. The, the massive focus on logistics. Uh, retail is, is a tough business, and it's one or lost on, on logistics. And, you know, I, I think, what, you know, getting customers on the front end to be able to shop is, is great, and social commerce uh, media players have that, you know, with, with the huge base of customers, but they don't have the back-end logistics, and, and that's where the, the complications lie. Right. And Mark, on that point, this direct-to-consumer consumer ecosystem has been growing. We've seen uh, logistics become sort of an easier piece of this, thanks to some of those back-end companies for those brands. So I wonder, you know, Warby Parker, one of the great D2C success stories, now aiming for an IPO. Does it and brands like Allbirds suggest that some of these indirect channels like Amazon and Walmart are less becoming less and less necessary to brands? Uh, I mean, listen, I think there's still a huge opportunity for, for you know, really strong D2C brands like, like a Warby Parker or Allbirds. I think there continue to be opportunities in that space. I think there, there are products that, um, you know, resonate with customers, certain demographic that are difficult for big mass merchants to replicate. Um, and, yeah, I continue to see a great opportunity on that front. And, and those companies will continue to grow and, and, and get bigger and I, you know, I think it's difficult for uh, for mass retailers to replicate those types of brands inside of their, you know, if they were to do a private label or something like that, it'd be really tough. Those brands have a, have a real soul. To yeah, it. and 
Right. We've seen Amazon, at least, try and do that with an Allbirds, very, very similar sneaker to Allbirds. So I wonder, though, are these indirect channels, though, especially as they come under more scrutiny, as they launch their own private label brands, are they almost detrimental to strong D2C brands like Allbirds and Warby Parker? Yeah, I think, like I said, I think it's really difficult to create those brands inside of a mass merchant. I think something, you know, what really makes those brands special, like a Warby Parker, is that connection to the customer, the passion that people feel. They're mission-oriented. They have, they have a mission, give-back component, things that really resonate with, with millennial, Gen Z-type customers. And you just can't create that from scratch, um, you know, from a mass merchant. It's not authentic. And I think that's the key here. Mark, apologies for the uh, requisite supply chain question, but uh, there was a report out today that uh, the Antien uh, port in China, one of the world's busiest ports, uh, is returning to normal operations after a month of uh, interruption because of the COVID outbreak. I wonder, are you getting the sense that back to school and holiday will be problematic, that we're going to be facing problems we can't yet envision later in the summer? Or, in fact, are these reports about incremental openings in supply chain going to help? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on, on back to school and, and holiday, you know, things being freed up in the supply chain. It was, it's been a real struggle through COVID, but things are starting to open up now. So yeah, I'm, I'm feeling very optimistic about that. Mark, uh, is small business in the digital world under threat from the ad targeting changes of iOS or from, uh, you know, Amazon's power over logistics and its third party sellers? Uh, either, both? I think, I mean, I think if business, small businesses are in uh, areas like logistics or certain areas uh, dealing with commodity goods, I would say yes. I think there's still an incredible opportunity to create brands. Like you mentioned before, the Warby Parkers of the world. Um, I I, I continue to think there's opportunity there to uh, create brands, products that resonate with customers. Um, And so, you know, I I think there's still opportunity there. You just need to be smart uh, in what you go after. Uh, Mark, let's shift to your venture capital approach. I know you spoke about this last time you were on CNBC and your approach, your strategy is really to take earlier, larger than normal stakes. At the same time, we are seeing some very big players in the VC space like SoftBank adopt a similar strategy, but at an even bigger scale, there was a Series A round for $775 million just a few weeks ago. Um, was that born out of the likes of SoftBank and Tiger Global? How do you compete with those guys, and how early are you getting in? Yeah, so that, I think that's the, the primary difference is that we are sort of a pre-seed stage type SoftBank. So um, you know, SoftBank is is making you know outsized investments in, in Series A and B, and those investments are helping make those the industry leaders. We're coming in pre-seed with basically just an idea and and a great founder. Um, and putting in, let's say, $10 million in that pre-seed so that that company can go out and hire the very best team and then will help kick off like a $50 million round soon after. So you got a company that's in, a, in a, an exciting space with a great founder, $60 million of capital. Um, there's a much higher probability that that company actually you know, rises above the rest. And I think it's a similar with SoftBank's doing. They're just coming in later with, with bigger right. checks. We're doing, doing that on a, uh, earlier, much earlier. That's fascinating. A pre-seed stage SoftBank, but SoftBank and the Vision Fund have been somewhat controversial as well. With those big stakes has come some big 
hits, but also some big misses. Of course, who can forget WeWork? How carefully are you looking into corporate governance to make sure that you're not getting too involved with a company that still has a lot of road ahead of it and a lot of you know, corporate governance and similar issues to work out? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a big believer um, in finding founders that represent a strong set of core values and, and traits that I look for. I call it spotic, smart, passion, optimistic, tenacious, adaptable, kind, and empathetic. And those leaders, coupled with a great set of core values, it usually puts the company in a really good position to, to organically have good corporate governance. Um, I think the, the culture and the values of the organization are critical to building a, a big, uh, successful company and hiring great talent, keeping great talent. So um, that, that's, that's sort of at the crux of, of what we do at BCP and what we're looking for. Mark, you're talking about value and how to capture it. You're thinking about that not just from the startup side, but also cities and society. Tell me, if you can, more about this model that you're exploring for how everyday citizens can get more of a stake more upside in cities growth, which uh, certainly we hope to see cities grow again coming out of this pandemic. Sure, sure. So, yeah, um, you know, I was inspired by this book, Progress in Poverty, by Henry George, economist in the late 19th century, um, basically uh, proving that, um, you know, land ownership is, is a real issue. Um, and in this new city, we're going to have a private foundation own basically worthless land um, and the idea is that if that land becomes very valuable over time, and it would if we created a city of millions of people, that that foundation would be very wealthy and its mission would be to give back that wealth to the citizens uh, in the form of, of enhanced social services. So not socialist by any stretch. This is capitalism at its best. But uh, people are, are sort of benefiting from the appreciation of the land and feeling like they have a stake in you know, how well the city does. That doesn't happen today. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we have such a divide in, in income and wealth uh, equality. And so that's one of the things we're going to test. I certainly don't know if this model's going to work, but it is uh, different. We do have a, a, a philosophy here that we want to test and certainly encourage others to do the same. I think we need to do more testing of, of different models, different ways of living, different ways of trying to create a higher quality of life to yeah. see um, how we can improve what we have today. And that's really the purpose here. I like the optimism. I'd like to check in with you and see how that develops. Mark, thank you. Mark Lorry. Thank you. Thank you. When we come back, Bitcoin circuit breakers do not pass go. And Masa becomes a Rothschild. A big hour of tech checks just getting started. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, 
No reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Get a gut check on Microsoft, the company, as we mentioned, touching a $2 trillion market cap yesterday, intraday. Just two years after it reached $1 trillion, Microsoft trying to catch up to Apple, the only U.S. company to end a trading day over $2 trillion shares today, moving slightly lower in Microsoft, slightly lower in Apple, too, D. And Bitcoin is back above 30 after falling below that critical level on Tuesday. Dom Chu has more on the crypto moves this morning and its impact on stocks. Dom, also, as I look at this, these charts, Ether above 2000 Yeah, so, I mean, every one of those larger coins and tokens out there, including Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, have seen a bit of a bounce back. But we're still talking about losses for Bitcoin and others, ranging anywhere from about half of their value shaved up to about three quarters of their value. If you look at Bitcoin overall, like you mentioned, that 30,000 mark, 33,514 is our last trade there, according to Coin Metrics, And it's still up a whopping nearly 250% over the last year. However, we have seen a, just about a 47% drop from the highs. Now, as you can see here, we've hit it a few times. This little area here, right around that 30,000 mark. So that's been an area of support that some traders are watching. And by the way, at just this level, about 34,000 and change is one of the longer term trend lines or the 200 day average price for Bitcoin, depending on what measure you look at. So watch this area because it could be a battleground for those bulls and bears in Bitcoin. If you take a look at some of the ramifications we are seeing elsewhere in the market, if you look at Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, even Dogecoin catching massive bids here and trading on a relative basis. That's I didn't put that in there. But yes, that is a Shiba Inu. And, you and mentioned I, Dogecoin, I, did, I did mention Dogecoin and I forget that there are memes on this show. So I will remember that the next time I talk about Dogecoin. It's up about 22 percent over the course of the day. So anyway, let me get my composure back in. So with these particular crypto checks, it is having an implication on certain stocks in the market overall. We look at specifically the areas that are maybe first or second derivative plays on some of those coin and token markets. You have to, of course, look at places like, of course, Coinbase and others. If you take a look at those particular moves in some of those types of stocks, Coinbase is one you'll keep a close eye on because, remember, it has been very closely tied to trading. As those volumes and volatility increase, you'll see some more trading there in Coinbase. MicroStrategy is about 3%. And the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, it's been a way that some traders have played exposure to Bitcoin prices overall. That's up about 2.5% as well. By the way, these three stocks among the top 50 most looked up tickers on CNBC.com over the course of the last week or so. And just remember, guys, when it comes to Coinbase, recently debuted as a public company. Remember that Coinbase shares have now drifted lower, generally speaking, off about 10 percent since going public. 227 the last trade there. So as that crypto trade plays out, folks, you got to watch Coinbase because it has been that real first derivative proxy on what's going on with Bitcoin Mm -hmm. and everybody else out there. Right. And Bitcoin peaking around Coinbase's IPO. Can we get a buy, Dom? Shiba Inu. I'm, 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 I'll, I'll watch for it the next time. That's the high dom right there, right? There we go. Right. There we go. There we go. Thanks, Tom. Checking in it. on Intel, announcing the creation of two new business units for software and high performance computing and graphics, plus the breakdown of the latest market action as the NASDAQ hits another all time high. 
That is next. Do stay with us. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Resetting here near the bottom of the hour, I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. Welcome back to Tech Check. Julia's got a look at some new numbers out of Facebook on its shops platform. We'll get to that in a bit, but first it's time for a news update. And Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Carl. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Warren Buffett is resigning as a trustee of the Gates Foundation, saying that his physical participation is not needed. The move comes less than two months after Bill and Melinda Gates announced that they are divorcing Buffett also called for the government to review tax deductions for charitable donations as he formally announced his planned $4.1 billion contributions to the Gates Foundation and also some family foundations. Southwest CEO Gary Kelly will transition to executive chairman next February. That's when Robert Jordan, who is now in charge of corporate services for Southwest, becomes CEO. The airline says that Kelly's biggest source of pride is that the carrier has not had a single layoff or furlough even during the pandemic. And sales of new single-family homes fell 5.9% in May as the median sale price rose to over $374,000. You're now up to date. Carl, I'll send it back to you. Ah, some amazing numbers on housing. Rahel, thank you very much. Our next guest says it's time to rethink how we talk about technology, calling both sides monopoly markets. One is the large cap fang type names with, a, with monopoly power. The other, those playing with monopoly money like Tesla or Coinbase. Joining us now more on this thesis is Northman Trader founder and chief strategist uh, Sven Henrik. Sven, uh, what a pleasure to welcome you to Tech Check. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Kyle. Great to be with you. Uh, ordinarily, I'd love to get your take on on Fed macro, but just on this on this buying the dip mentality in tech that you say uh, reigns relentless. How long lasting is it? Does it make you any more cautious on that space? Well, look, in, in general, the dip the buy the dip has worked with uh, the Fed's balance sheet expanding month after month to new highs, and the S and P just keeps following that track. Just you know, the dips into the 50 MA being bought. It's basically the 2013 script when we have the same kind of liquidity avalanche with tech in particular. Now, what's interesting when you look at new highs, you always want to look at the participation and the internals as they come about. And on the technology sector right now, these latest new highs this week have been the weakest readings internally that we've seen all year. New highs on the NASDAQ were only about 122 yesterday. Back in February was 600, and April was 250, so it's kind of declining. Another measure here is the 50-day moving average participation. They were at 88 in the earlier highs in the year, and yesterday was only 62. So what this points to is an internal weakening in terms of participation. And for those highs to be sustainable, you really want to see a broadening out of that, out of, out of that participation. Huh. I did notice today that the, uh, the FANG Plus Index, although up 10 for the year to date, is still the weakest first half uh, in about five years. I, I wonder where you think it leaves some of those names uh, in the more speculative space and mobility and EVs that have had obviously a rough 2021. Does that gap get filled? 
You know, that that is an interesting one because, you know, we look at markets as general being just a steady bull market here and, and the indices from SPY to NASDAQ and what have you. But what's fascinating is the absolute carnage that's actually been taking place. Tesla peaked in uh, January, dropped 40%. Uh, we saw that it was, with SPACs the same way. And, uh, and of course, in like companies like Arc or Coinbase, as you mentioned. So these stocks have actually seen significant drops, significant damage for anyone buying them late. And what we need to see for these stocks is an improvement in terms of their charts. And they've gone from bear flag to bear flag to bear flag. Tesla made some progress today getting above the 50 MA. And as long as that's sustainable, uh, then that's positive for the stock for, for further upside, for example. So if, if these come along, then yes, but they're also still in bear flag. So we've got to be very cautious here on how these technicals evolve. Sven, tell me, what do you think, revisiting a, a theme we touched on with Dan Niles earlier in the week, as easy money from the Fed dries up, who in tech gets hurt? Well, I think the, the big fangs uh, would ultimately get hurt if interest rates rise. I mean, it's, we saw a little bit of this last week, right? I mean, the, the notion that the 10-year um, drops and then we immediately see a positive rotation back into tech just underscores how important the yield equation is. And to me, the 10-year is really critical to watch. We've been kind of in a lower downtrend on the 10-year, but it's, it's got a bullish pattern. I mean, as long as it stays above 141, on a sustained basis, it has potential to move higher. And then I think tech is going to be at risk here. Sven, good morning. It's Deirdre. Uh, you mentioned the more speculative trades, Tesla, SPACs. And you also said in your note that you're impressed that the larger tech sector hasn't seen any fallout from the drop in these trades. Why do you think that's the case? Are they disconnected? Well, this is what we saw kind of in 2000s. Very interesting. In 2000, the tech bubble burst in, in March, right? But the large indices were unaffected for months. I mean, we had a big chopping trading range in, in the Dow, in the SPY. So the, the question to me is, are these things getting hit hard on the speculative side, a sign maybe that the overall larger asset bubble is, is at risk and, and that there's a lag factor? Uh, so far, we have not seen that evidence, um, but you know, if, if we see new highs fail on, on the larger indices, I think watch out because we just saw a trend break, for example, in the Dow uh, in, in the last week, and that's trying to repair itself. There's, there's technical damage underneath uh, despite the new highs. So I think in, in general, I think we need to keep a very close eye on because these markets are so extended historically since we haven't had a mm -hmm. single correction since last fall. There's, that there's always larger reversion risk on the trigger. So, Sven, where do the meme stocks and some of the more speculative cryptocurrencies like Dogecoin fall into this? I guess specifically the meme stocks, the likes of GME and AMC that have held back, held up better than many might have predicted. For now, I mean, look, the, the, the reality is there's, you know, this is what I called about the monopoly market, you know, on, on the one hand, the FANGs being actual true quasi-monopolies, and the other one is monopoly money. We still have tremendous amount of liquidity flowing into these markets. And so these stocks, they're all narrative-driven. They're not fundamental-driven. I mean, if you look at price to sales on some of these stocks, there better be a good fundamental story to ultimately back up these valuations. Otherwise, this is all ultimately coming back down to earth. You know, we're living in a world where all assets are flying to the moon, and the moon is becoming a very busy place. So ultimately, you have a real economy, which is, which is, 
which is ultimately has to catch up to the printed economy that we have right now, right? When we have this incredible growth curve based on the opening and the, and the combination of fiscal and monetary policy, but somewhere, in, and unfortunately, no one really knows this right now. What is the organic economy underneath all of this once stimulus in terms of the peak liquidity is waning off? Hey, finally, Sven, uh, Bitcoin, uh, we've talked about the bounce from yesterday, the past 24 hours or so. Has it escaped a technical pattern that would send you back to 20,000? We have to see. Look, Bitcoin, I've been tracking this on Twitter for literally months. And then it was this topping pattern first identified in late April. We got to that move in terms of just, again, one bear move after another. And yesterday was kind of critical support at the January, February lows. And we, now we got a very, very solid bounce. So that's at least hopeful that you would get a, some sort of confirmed to double bottom. But keep in mind, you know, we've seen these rallies before. And they ultimately ended up being sold in the last few months. It's, the charts are still in a bear market move. And what we need to see is a, a change in behavior of higher highs because it's been going lower lows, lower lows all, all the way. And I would say what the concern is, is that sentiment got hit because a lot of people got hurt uh, if they bought here in 2021. And, uh, of course, we still have regulatory issues uh, ahead. China is certainly one example of this. But I've not seen Jay Powell, Janet Yellen, or Christine Lagarde being great friends of, of crypto. So we'll still have to see how that regulatory battle is shaping up. Sven Henrik uh, fielding all kinds of pitches for us uh, today. Sven, thanks so much. Great to see you. Great to be with you guys. Goldman reiterating its buy ratings on Micron and Western Digital. Both those shares up, forecasting strong demand for the rest of the year in DRAM chips, the semiconductors used in smartphones. And watch Sprinkler opening for trade just moments ago and another debut drop to go with it. The CEO with us in just a moment. Tech Check is back in two minutes. Facebook is expanding its tools for brands to sell directly on its properties and announcing some new numbers. Julia Borston's got that. Julia? Well, John, Mark Zuckerberg has talked a lot about how commerce is a valuable long-term opportunity for Facebook. And now he's revealing just how fast shopping is growing and unveiled some new tools to help accelerate that pace. Now, just over a year after introducing Facebook shops, it now has 300 million monthly visitors. That's up from 250 million that the company announced at the end of April when Facebook reported its first quarter results. It also now has 1.2 million active shops up from 1 million uh, when it last reported back then. Now, to make it easier for brands to sell and consumers to shop across all of Facebook's platforms, Shops is expanding to WhatsApp and Facebook Marketplace as well. The company also unveiled new shop ads to enable brands to personalize ads based on people's individual shopping preferences to target shoppers most likely 
to make a purchase. Plus, it's rolling out a new visual search tool on Instagram so people can shop photos even if the products in them aren't tagged. The artificial intelligence can identify similar products. Zuckerberg also saying that this is the beginning of using augmented reality tools to try and close and the like. And this all puts Facebook further into competition with Pinterest, which also has visual search tools, and along with Snap, which recently unveiled some new augmented reality shopping tools. And this helps Facebook work around Apple's limits on its ability to gather data off of the app. So now Facebook will have a lot more data from shopping on Facebook about what people like, which is a valuable direct source of data and could help compensate for that data lost from Apple's changes. So, John, this is really essential. All of the shopping is not about the fees that Facebook might eventually collect from shopping and much more about keeping people on their platform and also all the data they get to better target those ads. Julia, I'm curious what you think this does to the overall e-commerce ecosystem and the companies swimming in it. I'm thinking we just had Commerce IQ on, what was it, yesterday. We talk a lot about Shopify as the possibilities for how brands can reach an online audience, a social audience, get more complex. They've got to have dashboards to manage that, and they don't want to lose control of their ability to put their stuff on whatever platform, right? Yes, we, I think that brands, especially the direct-to-consumer brands, are going to want to be everywhere. And they're going to want to make sure that if you see an ad and you like the product, you don't have to go through lots of different steps to have that instant gratification of making a purchase. They want to remove as many steps as possible. So I do think we'll have brands, both direct-to-consumer and broader brands, try to figure out how to be everywhere. This is going to really be a multi-platform, omni-platform world where you're going to have to be everywhere consumers are. But increasingly, John, I think we are going to see that you'll be able to shop everywhere and you won't have to go to a dedicated retailer to be able to buy things. You're going to want to buy things in the context of what your friends are buying, what creators are selling or promoting effectively. Yeah. Facebook competing with Amazon and Google. It's amazing watching these monopolies compete. Uh, (laughs) Julia, thank you. SoftBank just wrapping up its annual shareholder meeting. Those details after the break. Plus, Peloton getting a price target bump over at B of A. Bullish on that corporate expansion announced yesterday. Not helping the stock, though. It's down slightly. For more on that story, head to CNBC.com. Tech Check. Be right back. Despite record profits and some major vision fund portfolio wins like DoorDash and Coupon, Masayoshi-san, he is under pressure again at SoftBank's annual meeting. Shareholders taking a different tone, questioning him on corporate governance, the collapse of two vision fund portfolio companies, and possible succession plans. Masasan responding to the critics in his typical Masasan style, telling investors that venture capital is too small for SoftBank and it's more like, quote, Vision Capital, a play on the Vision Fund. He even compared himself and SoftBank to the capitalists that funded the railways and the Rothschilds in the Industrial Revolution. Uh, and as for successor John, Massa said that he is narrowing down the list and it could in- even include a founder of a Vision Fund portfolio company. And of course, succession discussion is nothing new. I remember back in 2015, John, he said that Nikesh Arora would likely be the one to take over for him. He decided he didn't want to leave. Aurora left to leave Palo Alto Networks. Other key executives, though, over the last few years um, have been named as possible successors, like Rajiv Misra as well as Marcelo Clare. But notably, they've had to actually step down from the board last year. 
for the corporate governance issue that Masasan has also take a lot, taken a lot of hits on. But you, we know this, John. He has many, many lives. He didn't sound any closer going anywhere last night. Yeah, he is one of those unique figures. I mean, there was an English-language biography of him that came out eight years ago. I, I des- desperately need an update of that. One of those unique figures where so much of technology history uh, in this tech boom that's happened over the last couple of decades flows through him. So, yeah, he's under pressure, but this is nothing like the pressure he's been under. Um, and something tells me, as you referred to, he will survive. Meanwhile, Plug Power getting a downgrade from Canaccord, price target to 31. The firm saying Plug's wider-than-expected losses are a big risk, given its valuation. Plus, want to listen to us on the go? Of course you do. Follow our podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, available wherever you download podcasts. Tech Check is back in just two. Sprinkler making its debut here at the NYSE this morning a few moments ago, turning around in the last couple of minutes, now up 5% from a downsized offer. Uh, Sprinkler's founder and CEO, Raji Thomas, is with us first on CNBC, and I think separate from uh, Stacey Cunningham of The Exchange, our first on-set guest. So nice. congratulations on bringing really the, the first company to bring the full team down for an IPO. Thank you, Carl. Yeah. It's amazing to be here. Uh, talk to me about the origins of the company, which go back quite a ways, right? Back to the era really in which direct mail was making the shift to email and companies are figuring out how they were going to have to relate to their customers. Absolutely. Um, I was fortunate to be a part of the direct mail to email transition. And what we've done with Sprinkler is take whatever we had done in email as a channel, channel, but bring it now to an ever-increasing number of channels. So we provide a unified platform for all customer-facing functions, everything from customer care to marketing across 36 channels, modern channels today. And the point that you've made in a lot of your writing is that over the years, that customer experience has gotten fractured into tiny silos all across social media and, and customer experience. And as a result, companies, even though they've spent a lot of money, have been trying to manage these multiple silos, and you're trying to consolidate that. Right. 4.6 billion people are connected to each other. You and I don't buy anything without reading a review. And it's very important that next generation of marketing start with customer care. And the way to do that is with a unified platform. So no one calls 1-800-BRAND to complain anymore. Right. They go on Twitter when you get off a plane and say, terrible flight, or they don't like the hotel. When they check out, they say, here's a one-star review. Um, how do you read and understand when someone's upset, go take care of that customer in a modern way, and how do you convert them then into another you know, loyal customer for, for many, many years and an advocate of the brand? And that's what the platform that we provide. Uh, John Chambers uh, of Cisco fame uh, is on the board. He's an investor and dropped by a moment ago to say that he sees a lot of parallels with early Cisco. I wonder what you think he means by that. Yeah. Every 30 years or so, the world changes dramatically, and technology has to keep up with it. When you look at customer-facing functions in large companies, care and marketing and advertising and customer research and sales software, the current stack is 30 years old, and we're building our platform using AI for the next 30. And that's what he means. John's always spotted market transitions and got it right. 
He has been good at seeing around large corners. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Uh, look, stock's up almost 10% here. Congratulations, and we look forward to having you back many times. Thank you very much, Bob. Raji Thomas. D. Meantime, guys, Clover Health, take a look at shares taking another leg higher today after the company released a filing mentioning a possible short squeeze. Those shares are still up more than 95% over the last month today, up another six and one third of a percent. Tech Check is back after one more quick break. One more thing, with all this talk lately about the hybrid workforce, uh, there's a marked emphasis on the team now more than ever. And from my Fort Knox Digital Show, three tech CEOs highlight how their company's success is a testament to being around the right people. Many of the CEOs I've talked to over the years have credited one foundational element as a key to elevating their companies, the team. Here's how those leaders tell me having the right people around them made all the difference. As a manager, what did you learn that you took out of how you got through that period of not having the right person for the particular role? It took us a while to kind of get the right core team together, but I also think that turned into one of our greatest strengths. When I didn't hire appropriately, many times with the phenomenally good people just in the wrong jobs. Your biggest resource is your talent, right? And kind of that's what makes or breaks the business. Some companies are sort of overnight successes, but even the ones that look like overnight successes on the inside, I think, are way more challenging and chaotic than people realize. If I have a strong belief in something, I need to make sure that the team around me has a belief in that. Every difficulty poses a very, very interesting opportunity. And initially, you, you stumble, but once you see through it, the joy of finding something bigger than life is just amazing. And that's just a taste. Scan the QR code on your screen. There it is. It'll take you to our website to watch the full piece, cnbc.com slash techcheck, where you can also find our show LinkedIn page, our Twitter account, for a lot more content. Dee? Great piece, John. Uh, meanwhile, we do continue to watch the House this morning as Congress debates five crucial antitrust bills, at least one of which was enough for Tim Cook to give the speaker a call on the latest out of Washington. We'll be watching that all day here on CNBC, Carl. All right, guys. In the meantime, there's been plenty to watch all day today. Uh, Tesla, the lead performer uh, on the NAS, we uh, said earlier this morning, first peak above the 50-day average since early May, uh, getting back to 650 as we're beginning to see the resumption of some uh, interest in that name, along with some uh, reports that uh, show some hope that uh, automakers at least are going to get better supply of chips in the second half of the year than they've been currently led to believe. We're, we've talked a lot about tech, but the rest of the week's going to be a lot about FedEx and, of course, the bank stress tests after the market close tomorrow. That'll do it for Tech Check. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.